produced under his new production label, Nikki's Counting Productions. They Walk Among Us had its world premiere at the Stadium Theater on February 20th, 2005, and later won the Best Screenplay Award at the 2005 Black Point Film Festival in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Recent stage directing credits include Miracle on 34th Street, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and A Midsummer's Night Dream. How are you tonight, Chris? I'm very well. How are you, Tim? Oh, we're very well. We say spooktacular here all the time. That's Spooktacular. Uh, That's one of my favorite words, actually. <laughs> and uh, also joining us is Dave Kane. Dave is a radio talk show host in Rhode Island. He also performs as a stand-up comedian and has a one-man show called Misgiving. So, Matt, if we're going to try to cut any jokes, we really have to, you know, up the ante tonight. Cause oh, definitely. Have, yeah, we have an actual comedian with us instead of our lame attempts at humor. His other activities include running his own creative consulting company, Dave Kane Ideas, and he is the author of the book 41 Signs of Hope. Uh, how are you tonight, Dave? Uh, great. Uh, thanks very much, Tim and Matt. It's nice to talk to you. And, and great to have you on. I'm glad you have uh, paranormal people on. I'm an abnormal person, so it work, works good. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're pretty uh, abnormal ourselves, uh, so it should work out well. And our third guest is Christian D. Resendez. He has directed, photographed, and edited independently produced features, shorts, and documentaries for over a decade. Originally from Northern Rhode Island, he studied theater at Dean College and Roger Williams University's London program. He later moved on to film and film history at NYU and Rhode Island College, where he graduated with a B.A. in 2000. Uh, his first completed film, Branches 93, received a Certificate of Merit from the Chicago International Film Festival, and his next documentary, Elzira Story, I hope I'm saying that right, won the silver at the World Fest Houston and was later aired on Rhode Island PBS. His feature directorial debut, Getting Out of Rhode Island, won Best Feature and Best Director at the Black Point Film Festival and is currently distributed by Film Threat DVD. The film was named a masterpiece and was selected as the Best Unseen Film of 2002 by Film, by film Threat critic Phil Hall. He directed, produced, shot, and edited these films. His company, Breaking Branches Pictures, has provided uniquely styled wedding concert and corporate videography since its establishment in 1996, and he currently resides in Brooklyn, New York. How are you, Chris? Christian. Hey, how you doing? All right. This is this might get a little confusing for us. We have Chris and Christian. Yes. <laughs> you can go just by that. That's fine. Okay. And and Dave, you get off easy because. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also a Christian, so we'll, we'll have to figure that out. <laughs> well, oh boy. It'll all work out in the end, I think. So now, before we get into the actual uh, in, involved incidents of what happened, uh, both with Nikki's life and uh, since his passing, uh, Dave and, and Chris, why don't you share a little bit with us just about what Nick was like as a person? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, Nicky's the kind of kid that they, they say is beyond his years. He was an old soul when he was uh, 10 years old. Uh, everybody could kind of tell that there was something just really special about him. Uh, and uh, he was phenomenally talented and funny. He was doing improvisational comedy at the age of 14. Uh, and he was performing, uh, doing theater. Uh, then he became a musician, writing his own music, and uh, performing with his band Shrine in Rhode Island. Uh, and just um, absolutely just a, a glowing light among all of his peers. Now, he was uh, 18 at the time of the fire? He just turned 18. He was 18 and 23 days. And, and Dave, uh, your recollections of, of Nick's young life? Well, uh, Chris is absolutely right. Uh, well beyond his years, the, uh, the, the play They Walk Among Us, which is about teenagers who have passed and come back as angels, uh, is exemplary of uh, of the kind of uh, you know the kind of thought process that he had. He was a very introspective kid, uh, a very creative child, and uh, obviously one that uh, brought a lot to this universe. And we're all reaping it now and telling people about him and and his story. It's it's great. 
Now, he was a, a very creative person by nature, and one of the outlets that he used for his creativity in addition to writing the screenplay was music. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he had a band uh, that had achieved some level of recognition uh, at, at an early age. That band was called Shrine. Uh, what was kind of the um, what level were they at in terms of their up and coming uh, nature playing in the Rhode Island area? Well, they had one CD, uh, and they had only they had only really formed um, within two years before the fire, and uh, they they were gaining some recognition. They were they were getting club dates and things like that, um, uh, but their one CD was you know it was gaining in popularity certainly. They were uh, supposed to open for Grey White on the Friday night. Plus the fire was on a Thursday. Uh, the band uh, performed there on New Year's Eve of that year, and uh, they were supposed to open on Friday night, and that's why Nick went on Thursday to kind of check out the room and see what was going on. So they had already achieved uh, some some level of recognition to be able to open for a band like Great White, which, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, at this point in time, a little bit past their, their um, salad days. But at the same time, you know, a very well-recognized band and very popular. It drew a lot of people to this uh, concert on the 20th of February. Yeah, Shrine had played at the station a number of times. I saw them play at the station actually on February 8th of that year, uh, so about 12 days before the fire. So they had the, they had some connections there with the um, the club owners. And so now on the night of the 20th, uh, they had the the band Great White came to play. And they had actually uh, packed the place beyond what the recommended fire capacity was. Is that right? Yes, that's right. They uh, well, well beyond, uh, not, not even uh, uh, beyond the capacity, but the capacity itself, of course, was we know now was illegal and shouldn't have been had anyway. So, so even the posted capacity shouldn't have been that much. Right. Exactly. And uh, so, what ended up happening, uh, if we want to walk people through that are that are unfamiliar, uh, why don't one of you guys kind of set the stage of the events that happened that night? Well, uh, well, the, the Great White took the stage and uh, they set off fireworks. Uh, the fireworks ignited uh, illegal soundproofing uh, that uh, turned into basically turned the place into a torch. Uh, the building itself was down in less than five minutes. Uh, One hundred people perished from the smoke, uh, and over two hundred people were were seriously injured uh, uh, with uh, permanent damage, uh, burns, etc. And isn't it true, too, that the pyrotechnics themselves weren't allowed in a, in a club that small? Well, that's uh, been a debatable from the beginning. They did set them off without proper permits. However, uh, they, the club had used, or bands in that club had used pyrotechnics before. But the, And these were the, the little flash cans, uh, the little cans of uh, yeah. essentially, what, gunpowder? Um, they're ger- what are they called, gerbs, Chris? Do you remember? I don't, I think oh, I don't know. Gerbs. Yeah, I believe that's the term I heard yeah. used. And, uh, yeah. and they're... They're, they're, they're supposed to be the kind of sparks that you used to get uh, when you were a kid, you know, with those little uh, wheels where you'd squeeze the little trigger and the wheel would, would scream around and the sparks would come out. But it was, the, it was the foam in the building that was really the culprit. Yeah. yeah. And, and from what I understand, the, the actual uh, pyrotechnics reached about 15 feet, which was plenty of distance to ignite this, this soundproofing. Well, the, the soundproofing was all over the place. That could have gone off, uh, you know, it was all over the building. It was, uh, yeah, it was an accident thing to happen. It's actually really amazing that it didn't happen before this. And so, uh, and this happened right at the beginning of the opening of the show. Uh, Great White was performing the song Desert Moon, mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty much right initially as the show began. Yeah, when, uh, when, uh, when uh, Jack Russell took the stage, that's when they set them off. 
Now we'll get into th- things a little bit more with uh, with Great White later on in the show. I I don't know what kind of re- I know that a lot of the families involved in this tragedy uh, have taken issue with the band, and we are taking issue with the band for something that they recently announced. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But I mean, have you received personally any kind of uh, apology aside from you know the the grandstanding in the courtroom from the Dedarians and the people involved? Have you received any kind of personal apology from the band? Not from the band. We've received a uh, written apology from uh, from uh, Dan Beakley uh, for his part in this, uh, but not from the band. And how much blame do you really put on on Beakley when it's if it's the soundproofing was the club's problem? Well, there's enough blame to go around for everybody, but I think Mr. Beakley was uh, caught between a rock and a hard place. He was brought into a club that was a, a hellhole before he ever got there. Uh, and uh, and there's uh, different stories as to whether or not he had permission or didn't have permission. In any event, his job was to hit the button for the fireworks. He did it, and uh, he ended up uh, holding the bag on a lot of this stuff, and that's a whole other long story. Mm-hmm. But basically, there are a lot of people that should have been charged, and we're still waiting, and it probably will never happen. I mean, from what, what I could gather uh, through some Internet research, uh, and we have on SpookySouthCoast.com, we actually have links to uh, Dave's site for the book, uh, the site for the movie, which we'll get into in a little bit. And we also have a link to the uh, Providence Journal's special section on the fire and all the news as it comes out uh, as the trials and everything unwind. And from what I could find, it looks like Beakley uh, was sentenced to 15 years in prison uh, with only four served and 11 suspended. So uh, with good behavior, he could be out this September. And then uh, the uh, Michael and Jeff Darian, who were the uh, co-owners of the club, uh, they actually made a plea bargain. Is that what happened before it could even go to trial? Well, they were offered a plea bargain because the attorney general's office didn't want to try the case because they didn't think they could prove it mm-hmm. uh, because they were trying to protect too many other people. And so Michael Darian will serve four years in a minimum security prison, and Jeff Darian uh, has a 10-year sentence suspended in return for 500 hours of community service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, like you said, there are a lot of people that need to be held accountable, but as the two figureheads uh, in this case, it seems the Dedarians, uh, you could say, got off easy. Well, yes, you could say that they got off easy. I guess you could say that. But the, the, the real culprit here, and I don't really want to get into too much more mm-hmm. of this if it's okay. But, Absolutely. But the, um, the real culprit here is the uh, buffoon attorney general we have in the state of Rhode Island who allowed this to be the case. All right. Well, we'll leave that at that then. So, uh, but interestingly enough, uh, with the involvement of uh, of Shrine uh, and going there, like you said, Nick was there to kind of get a feel for how the show was going to go. I'm assuming to get kind of an idea for Great White and uh, what it is that they would be opening for. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. And was was he a fan of their music? Had he even heard of them? I mean, he was a young guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, 80s, 80s. Like arena rock, that was Nikki's thing. Like uh, power ballads and all that stuff. Like he kind of grew up, grew up with that as we were growing up in the '80s, and and he loved that stuff. He absolutely loved it. And I'm sure you played a part in in getting him into that stuff. Yeah, obviously. You I mean he associated it with his childhood and growing mm-hmm. up listening to it because we were listening to it. Sure. Because I, I personally, I, I have a brother who's uh, what 21 now and 22, and. Uh, he always laughed in his younger days at some of the stuff I was listening to, and then, you know, sure enough, he starts listening to it, and he started to have an appreciation for it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so now, what kind of music was he playing with, with Shrine? Was it similar to that? I mean, uh, the the clips yeah, in the trailer. Uh, 
it sounds like it's uh, some of the music was hard and some of the music had a real soft introspective side to it. You know, you could you could hear the influence in Nikki. If you saw Nikki perform, you could definitely see the influence of like his favorite band was Poison. If that gives you an indication of the kind of stuff oh, he yeah. was into. So he, if you watched him perform, people called him Mini Mick because he he looked like Mick Jagger when he was, he was performing. He was personally trying to channel Brett Michaels from Poison, and so he had that real like that showmanship quality. He would really just uh, chew up all the scenery when he was on stage. And we have uh, a link to the 41themovie.com website, and you can see the trailer there, and you can see some, some of his performance footage there. And It's yeah. interesting, Chris, because you say your whole life you felt compelled to videotape everything uh, with Nick, yeah. and that mm -hmm. now you understand why? Absolutely. It's one of the, one of the interesting um, things that really helped us out when we, made, when we were making 41 uh, was that I – have probably about 900 hours of home videos wow. um, and when that was something that we you know we had to go through uh, to find all the material that was going to be used in the film and um, throughout his life I was it's just maybe it's a part of my nature I'm an archival kind of person um, and uh, I was I was just documenting everything I, I just really did feel compelled to do that just as I say that yeah now, as we've mentioned a couple of times, the movie is called 41, and that is for a particular purpose. Uh, for some reason, Nicky was obsessed with the number 41 his entire life. Uh, just what, what are some of the uh, stories uh, surrounding his interest in that number? It wasn't his entire life. It was something that, see, he, one of the interesting part, uh, aspects of Nicky's story was that he, went, he underwent some interesting changes in the last year of his life, and this is one of the things that we go into in the movie. Uh, he... He developed a very different, uh, more spiritual side to his nature, um, almost as if he was anticipating that something major was coming. And a part of that change was definitely this, I'm, I'm going to say it was within the last year of his life, um, kind of an obsession with the number 41, and he totally didn't understand what it meant. But the number very much just sort of followed him. And so much that he would point it out if it appeared, or... Sure. He'd point it out all the time, and he'd see it on license plates and so forth. Um, and he didn't know. The only the best guess that we had was that um, it connected to my father, um, my biological dad, who passed away in 2000. He was born in 1941. And so we thought, we, we considered the possibility that maybe this was a way of my dad's spirit getting through to him. So it was kind of like a connection on that level. Yeah, I can see what you're yeah. saying between them. Uh, and, I mean, how much... Uh, how much did he pursue it? I mean, was it really just pointing it out when it happened, or was he really interested in trying to get no, to the... he was. Yeah, he was really interested in it. Like, he was, this was a part of... He was, had a very curious nature, and uh, like I said in the last year, he started to really ponder these issues of things like the afterlife, and he was really just becoming obsessed with you know, what happens to you when you die, and, um, and anything having to do with angels or spirits or ghosts. Uh, he developed this enormous interest in it, and... He was really passionate about this mysterious number that kept turning up and trying to figure out why it was. Both for him, it was for him and his girlfriend. You mean they both they both were having mm -hmm. a lot yeah, of incidents was, where it popped up? Yeah, yeah, both of them were. Now, the, now, the other important thing to remember is that after he passed, as as Chris pointed out, uh, Nikki uh, when Nikki passed, he was 18 years and 23 days, which is 41. The station nightclub is at latitude 41.41. The fire call box at the station is 4414. And on the cover of my book is a sketch of Nikki from a videotape we found a year after he passed. 
He's about four months old, and his mom is holding him, and he's wearing a baseball uniform on, and the number on the calf is 41. So, I mean, it's even beyond things that he could notice uh, himself. Mm-hmm. It was tied into his life. Right. Yeah, it's very strange because after he passed away, we looked through some old photo albums. We found pictures uh, in our albums of one of them is a motel room, and I guess it was a motel we stayed in at one point. It was it was room 541, and there's another one. It's just a picture of a clock, and the time on the, on the clock is like 741. These are pictures from like the 90s, and <laughs> seeing them now, it's like we don't know why we have them. We don't know why anybody took them. Um, but the number just seems to, looking back over his life, it just seems to suddenly turn up. You know, some people might say that, you know, it's, it's an incident like when you go out and you buy a new car, uh, and then all of a sudden your attention is drawn to other people that have that same car when you might not have noticed it before. Uh, sure, but... It's called the Volkswagen effect. We had one of our, one of the interviews that Christian uh, got for the film is with a, a, a doctor, um, a parapsychologist named Gary Schwartz down in the University of Arizona, and mm-hmm. he refers to that as the, the Volkswagen effect. But now, Christian, as, as a filmmaker, you must realize that there's more to this case than just, you know, going back and, and making these connections after the fact. Oh, certainly, certainly. It, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way it started for me was that I bumped into my neighbor, uh, who I rarely see here, about a year, almost a year after the fire. Uh, I never knew Nick or the O'Neills when it happened. And uh, this friend said, hey, there's a performance going on at uh, the Stadium Theater, and they're putting on a show that was written by this young man who died in the fire. And um, so I, I, you know, kind of planted a thought in my head, and I said, well, wait, do they need a video done? And so I approached them on it, and uh, basically I, I kind of got hired to do that. And, uh, you know, just kind of got to, the, got to know the O'Neill slowly, I think, over that first year, very slowly. And then later on, as you know, time went on. So, I mean, when I look back, because I had to put myself in the film, um, and I don't mean to be jumping way ahead here, but um, I had to, I don't like to put myself in my own projects or my own films. And I had to do that here simply because of what happened to me and all the 41s that I couldn't ignore uh, that eventually connected to making this film. And and so. and it's interesting because I was reading a story about the the Boston Glo- uh, by a Boston Globe writer. Uh, let me get her name so I can give her proper credit. Uh, Bella English, yeah. and yep. she she talked about uh, some of the associations with the Forty One, and even when they put on the performance of that play, there was some some strange happenings going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually she was she was to, to be completely like clear, she was actually confusing some stories there. But there was another performance that we did at the stadium. Um, which was like Nikki's home theater. This is where he did a lot of his performance. Um, and what was, it, the, there was an amazing kind of incident there where um, we had this production going up and uh, uh, at intermission, for the first time in the theater's history, there was a complete power outage in the theater. And it was totally unexplained. Um, they they couldn't figure out like sort of any mundane explanation for it, so they they called Narragansett Electric, and Narragansett Electric said that they couldn't get a truck out for an hour. Now, we had about 800 people in the audience for this show. The cast is backstage, and they were just totally disappointed because basically they had to come out and pitch darkness and say that we have to cancel Act 2. So meanwhile, I was standing there staring at my wristwatch because I knew what was going on, and I knew that when 840, I was just waiting. It was about 837. 
So he got up there and he said, we have to, we have to refund your tickets and send you guys home. 800 people visibly moaned, uh, audibly moaned. And then all of a sudden, um, I'm looking at my watch, 840 goes to 841, and then all the lights came back on. <laughs> so I went around just getting as many witnesses as I could, showing them my watch that it was 841. I'd just been sitting there kind of anticipating that that was exactly what was going to happen. You already knew ahead of time. I, I was. I knew ahead of time. I was looking at my watch, waiting for it to happen. Uh, and um, to this day, they've never explained what the, what caused the power outage. But the significance of that was right, Chris. That that, that was the night that we found out um, that Nikki had won the uh, the screenplay award. Well, that was the night that They Walk Among Us um, was actually playing at the festival uh, where it won the award. Yeah. Well, yeah, and apparently uh, the whole power thing, when the lights came back on at 841, uh, they were uh, stopping, they walk among us, and were about to play a very short work-in-progress version of 41 at approximately that time. And so there's just a lot of, like, you know, little things going on surrounding that minute. Yeah. I mean, I mean some people call it coincidence, but we don't. We call it synchronicity. So Absolutely. It's definitely yeah. tied in. Yep. And well, then, one or two or three or five things is a coincidence, and then when you look at all the things that are accumulate in mm -hmm. Dave's book and then in this movie, um, you know, you, you really have to uh, just look at the whole picture and form your own opinion because you wonder um, what's really coincidence and what's uh, meant to be, what are messages that come to us. Sure. So, I mean, you know, people, but, can, people can accuse us uh, of, you know, grasping at straws, but, you know, any reasonable person certainly is going to understand, just as you were talking about with getting a new car and so forth, you start looking for the number. You know, any reasonable person is going to accept that coincidences do happen. But, you know, let's be reasonable and look at all of these incidences, you know, on their own merit. And, uh, and um, like Christian said, kind of come to our own conclusions about, about what could be really going on here. Yeah, exactly. It's way, I mean, like you said, two or three things is a coincidence, but to have this many incidents, and we'll get into some more of them, to have this many uh, coincide. It's just, it's definitely something beyond uh, what we can fathom in our existence. Sure. Now, sure. And certainly, also in some cases, um, you know, things have happened that are uh, there's just no physical explanation for them. You know, right. that also happened to coincide with the number forty-one. Mm -hmm. well, what, are, what are some of those incidents? Uh, well, uh, I've had digital clocks stop at two forty-one. Um, I've had uh, we've had you know things like the unexplained power outage. Or um, you know other things like that that you know there could there could have been at some level some kind of material explanation for it but um, but it would be a stretch it would be it would almost it almost resembles more like you know poltergeist activity or things like that. Now, do these signs come at random moments, or do you, if, looking back at it now with hindsight being twenty twenty, do you see a lot of them coming at moments where you kind of needed them? Yeah, no, they definitely do. Hmm. Um, yeah. In fact, you know. I, Christian can certainly comment on that because a lot of uh, things that happened to him and also a lot of the initial interviews that we got with people for 41, it was always in a moment of need. Mm -hmm. And is that, you know, you think that's based on the fact that it's definitely Nikki sending you a message? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things you have to take into account when you, when you kind of, you know, like, kind of have to examine, is this a coincidence or is this something real? Well, it's, it's not just that it's happening, but it's when it's happening. It's in that moment of need. It's in that moment where you feel a connection. You know, exactly. It's in that moment where, I could add yeah. to that. You have to look at the context of every single one, mm -hmm. just how they are and what they mean. Like um, uh, 
there are so many of them that I think the movie maybe covers 60% of them because we don't have time to get into all of them. But um, it, it, you have to just look at the scenario where each one happens. You have to ask yourself a series of questions. Uh, what did this event mean? Why was I here? What, you know, where, what, what is the meaning behind all of this? Uh, and, uh, you know, you can just kind of arrive at your own conclusion there. I mean, the, the difference between just being on the highway and say, oh, look, I see a 41 license plate, and, you know, of course that would remind you of Nikki, mm -hmm. but then there's something else where, you know, as Chris just described, um, a digital clock will freeze at 341 for a week, and there's no, you know, reason why, and then it just automatically starts up again. I think you're, I, I don't know if you're referring to this one, Chris, but um, your mom's stove clock. You know, right. Well, that happened too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, I was referring to uh, the the. Um, this is the, a story where we we had um, someone with us, and um, this person's um, uh, this person's mom was a bit nervous about this person going with us on this long journey, and um, kind of asked Nikki for a sign if he, you know, just to know that this person would be safe with us um, on this long trip. And uh, we, as soon as we got into the rental car. The, um, the CD player froze at 2:41. The counter, the the, um, the time kept changing, and the uh, the the, uh, the track number kept changing. But the time on the counter froze at two minutes and 41 seconds, and wouldn't change, wow. for the, you know, for the rest of the drive. So you know, like if the, the clock is still working, the the, uh, the track number is changing, but the counter freezes on. And it's a digi it's digital technology. So you know, incidents like that um, uh, make people into believers. Now, what was the incident with the stove clock? The clock in the kitchen uh, just one day just stopped at 2.41, but the second hand continued to go. In other words, the clock was running. It was operating, but it, but it just stopped at 2.41, and two or three days later, it just started up again. <coughs> but, but it had been running the whole time, but the hands just stopped at 2.41. Now, there's been a couple of mentions now of 2.41. Do you think that there's a significance with the two as well as with the 41? Actually, um, it's happened with all sorts of numbers mm -hmm. preceding it. There was a significance, I think we just happened to mention that out of, out of yes. chance. There was a significance to the number nine preceding 41, um, and Nikki was aware of that. And that's turned up a number of times. 941 has a special significance. And, you know, again, we don't understand what any of this means. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually asked Gary Schwartz about that, and he said that under numerology, that the 941, when you put it together or do whatever they do with it, it comes out to the perfect 41. It comes back to 41. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy theories about 41. I mean, uh, if you want to look at it on that level, you know, the number 40 in biblical terms has a certain significance, so the number 41 mm -hmm. would, be the, would be obviously like the day after, after Lent, so Easter would be 41. Um, and there's all kinds of correlations with that. Um, the 40 days of the flood. Yeah, the, num the, the number 40, flood. sure, in biblical terms. Um, and then there's um, people have pointed out that if you look at global latitude, a number of major cities all uh, exist on the on the 41 latitude around the world. And there's been a, like entire schools of occult thinking along these lines. Now um, another one, course, Tim. Another one, Tim. That you know, uh, we're talking about 41, but there are many other signs that are unexplained and certainly more than coincidence. Uh, uh, Nick's mom and I were driving one day, and, and she was very, has been very concerned for a long time about whether or not Nick had any pain when, when he passed. And we were talking about it, and although we feel and have been told by several mediums that he had no pain, still she was, of course, very concerned about it. And as we were talking about it, 
we had just gone to tag a Christmas tree, and we came out of the parking lot of the tree place, and we're driving down the road as we're talking about it, and a car came at us, and the license plate on the car was no pain. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there have been all sorts of stories that, uh, yeah, people, well, we kind of focus on the number 41, but there have been really, like like Dave said, a, a, a whole host of other stories. Um, well, you know, Chris, I'm actually sitting here thinking that, you know, a lot of the ones that are in the film are 941s, and not only that, but whenever they are 941s, they signify turning points, kind of, mm. uh, much more so than, than, you know, the other 41s, like... You know, not to give anything away too much, but the cemetery story, and then there's the WGA certificate, and they're sure. they're like ma- some of the most major things are 941s. Sure, and the very first one that we ever received after the fire was a 941. That was the very first thing that ever happened, mm-hmm. um, which was just kind of an unexplained noise that we heard. Um, I think it was like February 21st. It was at 9:41 p.m. And you just you heard a loud noise and. Uh, yeah, it was a beeping sound, and um, and later we figured out what it was. Um, but also, then um, talking about things that kind of seem to violate the laws of physics a little bit, or st- at the very least stretch them, was the carousel horse story, where the very first Mother's Day after the fire, I had bought my mom a carousel horse because there was a whole significance of um, the musical carousel to Nikki, which is a whole other story, but... Um, but I bought her this carousel horse for Mother's Day after the fire, and it just started playing by itself at 9.41 p.m. And then Mother's stopped Day. at 9.42. Yeah. Now, uh, just looking over uh, Bella English's story, two nights before the fire, Nick mentioned that he wanted to sing something from the musical Carousel, a show he had never even seen? Yeah. It, he, was, he, he was putting, he was singing my, my girlfriend and I to sleep, and, uh, but, you know, in kind of a crass, joking way, and... Uh, making us sing lyrics along with him and things like that. And um, he, he just liked to get a rise out of people. And uh, so he was singing us to sleep, and he was making up lyrics, just making fun of people that we knew. And, and then all of a sudden he said, I don't know why I even brought this up. I don't even know the musical Carousel. I've never seen it. Uh, the, the song he was singing had nothing to do with it. It only had the word Carousel in it. And he was, like, baffled by it. But, um, you know, after the fire, we, we put it together and realized that the musical Carousel, um, although he didn't realize it, uh, is a story about a young man who basically is tragically killed and then is uh, brought by an angel to watch over his family. And then when you went to this flea market to find the carousel, you said the song is playing over the loudspeakers from that show? Yeah, yeah the, the, the soundtrack to Carousel, of all things, it was this was at yeah, Random that's... Flea. Oh, that's especially even more strange. It's <laughs> very bizarre. Like, why are they playing show tunes at Random Flea? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they were playing the whole soundtrack. So I said, well, this is a sign. So then I walked over and I found a, ca- a music box uh, that plays the, um, the theme music from the, the show. And also, of course, that famous song, You'll Never Walk Alone, is mm-hmm. from Carousel. And that's exactly what it's about. It, it certainly seems like a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but before we do, I'm just going to read a little something from Bella English's story uh, that might give some insight into the number 41. Uh, she actually interviewed Diana McCannis, a psychic and numerologist at the Salem Psychic Center, about the meaning of the number 41. She did not know Nick and was only told that he was 18 when he died. One way of interpreting 41, she said, is to add the numbers together. 4 plus 1 equals 5, and 5 represents a time of change, she said. If a person sees that number a lot around him, they like, uh, they like change and challenge. They are also very creative, extremely creative. 
There's a lot of creativity around this young man. They are also very sensual people, very sensitive with any, anything to do with the five senses, color, sound, fragrance, food, touch. Another way of interpreting 41 is to separate the four from the one. The numeral four, McCannis said, I always equate to a brick which has four sides. Bricks are used to withstand a lot of pressure and stress. These people are usually hard workers. The numeral one, she said, represents new beginning, new steps. I would say that when this person was here on Earth, he was a hard worker, grounded and creative, and the new beginnings could represent a spiritual journey. So it definitely sounds like she hit Nikki on the head. Yeah, it does. All right, well, uh, we have a call coming in, so let's take that call uh, before we go to a break. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Oh, sorry about that. Oh. Dave, you can you can uh, attest to this. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Oh, uh, I know, I know, it, I know it very well. <laughs> so we'll try and get that call up. There we go. No, oh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> what time does the clock say, guys? It's ten. That was my ten forty-two. It's ten forty. My watch has gives me ten forty-one and forty-one seconds. Well, yeah. the the phone, the, yeah, the phone was ringing a minute ago. When I uh, all right, here we go. We think we have it on. Uh, good evening, on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Good evening, it's Keith. Hi, Keith, how you doing? I think we just lost two of our calls. This is strange, Keith. There's definitely something weird going on. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we lost Dave. I believe we lost Dave and Christian, so let's see if we can bring them back in here. <laughs> how did I know this was going to happen? Didn't I just say, Nick, you like to get a rise out of people? Yeah, yeah. he just hung up on me. <laughs> Hold on. All of a sudden, the two red lights for, for Dave and Christian just dropped out out of nowhere. At, at 1041. Yeah. Yep. At 10.41. Okay, well, guys, you're on the line now with uh, Keith Johnson, who is uh, a demonologist and a paranormal researcher from Rhode Island. Uh, he's the founder of New England Anomalies Research. So uh, how are you doing tonight, Hi, Keith? Hi, Keith. I'm doing just fine. How are you doing, guys? God bless everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Keith, is this uh, something that you'd heard about before? It's something I've heard about briefly, yes. And I've been an admirer of Mr. Kane for some time, and I want to express my support for both him and Chris, and I'm very sorry for their loss, and uh, this is something that I find very, very interesting, the um, the 41 movie, I think it's going to be really uh, something intense, it's going to bring a lot of attention to uh, to this matter. And, and uh, Keith Hope also so. has a TV show, so he might want to have you on as guests, too. Yeah, oh, I, would really? love to. I would love to sometime. Is on. that a Rhode Island uh, public access show? Yes, yes, oh, I do. It's called Ghosts Are Near. Oh yeah. Oh great, 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 great terrific. Yeah. And great. as I said, I've been an admirer of Mr. Kane for some time. We're not going to hold that against you, Keith. <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> very good. It's very nice of you to say so, though. Thank you. Yes. And um, I'd like to know that I'm going to be uh, keeping you and Chris and Nick in my prayers, all three of you. And um, I think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing. And uh, really bringing a, a attention to the suffering of so many people that, that happened here. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know anyone in this area who wasn't touched in some way about this uh, terrible tragedy which happened. I had co-workers who were there, and uh, one of them was rather seriously burned, but uh, thank God he survived. Good. Now, Keith, have you received any signs uh, from, from any of those friends like uh, they have with Nick? No, no, I have not yet, but uh, I do plan on visiting the site soon, and I'm, I'm going to be praying there, saying some prayers, and it's just uh, something that 
will be etched in Rhode Island history and the lives of so many people for I don't I don't think we'll ever forget what happened there. Mm. Well, and tomorrow uh, tomorrow is the uh, memorial service um, for the uh, fourth anniversary tomorrow Sunday at one o'clock. And if anybody wanted to attend that, they could do it at, at one o'clock tomorrow at the station nightclub site. It's being sponsored by the station memorial uh, station family memorial excuse me station memorial fund, uh, which are attempting to to buy the land and make it a permanent memorial for the people that passed. Sounds like an excellent idea. It is an excellent idea. And we uh, we recommend everybody get in touch with... Uh, now, I know there's some uh, station-related uh, charities that have come under fire recently. Well, that's a bad choice of terms. That have come under speculation of misappropriating some of this money, uh, claiming to raise money for families and it not getting there. Uh, but is the Station Fire Fund, is that one in particular that you recommend? Well, the Station Fire um, Fund is is primarily to, to raise the money to, to buy the land. To buy the land. Um, the Station Family Fund... Um, is not is not at all in question. Um, for a while, uh, Great White was allegedly out trying to raise funds, but a lot of those funds didn't get to us. What a surprise! Well, we'll get into more of that uh, yeah. a little bit later on, because, like I said, we definitely want to take the the band to task. And we we actually ran into some trouble trying to get a hold of the, some one of their representatives to join us. Big surprise there as well. So, uh, uh, Keith, we thank you for checking in. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much, and God bless you guys. And I. I do want to have you on my show sometime very soon. Sounds well, great. Anytime. Well, if Take you care. just hop on the uh, the internet, and you can go to 41themovie.com and 41signsofhope.com for Dave's book. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and then on the other side, we'll get back into more of some of these stories surrounding the number 41 and even some stories that don't involve the number. And if you would like to call up and, and have any questions or comments, like to share 508 996 We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. As I said, a very special night as we are uh, remembering the victims of the station nightclub fire uh, four years ago this Tuesday. And in particular, talking about the story of Nicky O'Neill, the youngest person to die in that fire. He was only 18 at the time, and uh, he was a musician, a very creative person. Uh, he wrote a play that uh, was an award-winning play that was discovered after his passing. Uh, just a really interesting case. A lot of the incidents in his life where he uh, was able to just shine through, and it seems like even now uh, in his passing he's done that as well. And we'll get into some of the coincidences, not coincidences, the uh, circumstances around uh, the number 41 in just a few minutes. But let's bring everybody back in. Sorry about the phone trouble, guys. But uh, that, that last time, that was our fault. That's okay. okay. The, the one at 1041, we can't claim any responsibility okay. for that one. <laughs> That's right. You can't. And, and, and nobody listening to us should accuse us of doing that on purpose because... We didn't. We the last thing we want to do is uh, drop people off the phone because we don't really necessarily always know how to get them back on. Right. Right. Now, uh, Dave, one one story that I find interesting that actually isn't associated with the number forty one is the story of Nikki's cell phone. Uh, why don't you relate that to the listeners? Um, okay. Um, after the fire, right after the fire, I was uh, answering all of the the phones. We had so many calls from people, and I was answering uh, my wife's phone and my cell phone and the house phone and 
And um, when Nikki passed in, in, on Thursday, we didn't know where he was, that where his remains were. It was such a confusion. Uh, we hadn't heard from anybody. We couldn't find him. Um, and on Monday, following the fire, uh, Joanne's cell phone rang, and it said, Nikki. Uh, I immediately grabbed the phone and took the call, and there was nobody there. I called the uh, telephone company, uh, our cell phone company, and explained to the supervisor the situation, and they put two, two searches on it right away. And they found that the phone had been turned on at 10 minutes of 12 and then shut off again and then turned back on at 10 minutes of 4 when I got the call. And um, I thought that what had happened was that the, you know, the, the responders had had Nikki's body and they had found a cell phone and that they were playing with it to try to find out who it was, mm-hmm. whose it was, et cetera. Well, three days, uh, that night, that night at 11 o'clock, I got the call that they had found Nikki's remains. So we, you know, we, we were very relieved that, that that part of it was over. And two days later, when I went to the funeral home to pick up his, um, his uh, uh, possessions, the only thing they had was the cell phone in a plastic bag, and the cell phone didn't work. Uh, I took it to the phone company, and they told us that it had been waterlogged. So nobody could have used those buttons to call us. We feel that it was Nikki calling us to let us know that our, our wait was over. Well, it definitely uh, seems like that to, to be the case. Now, one question I have is, uh, at the beginning of this story that, that was in the Boston Globe, and maybe you can uh, specify a little bit more, but... At 7 o'clock the night of the concert uh, on February 20th, uh, Nick called your wife uh, on his cell phone. Yes. But did he call the house phone or did he call her cell phone? No, he called her cell phone. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it it would have been the last call on the cell phone, but like you said, it's waterlogged. How? It, 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 would, it would indeed have been the last call on the cell phone. Um, well, however, we're assuming, you know, if he hadn't called anybody else. That's true. Um, however, um, the phone wasn't working at all mm-hmm. when I got it. So, and if it was waterlogged, it would have been you know waterlogged at the time when they were trying to put the fire out, which uh-huh. there's there's no way that somebody could have made that call afterward. Exactly, and that that was what, what well, the battery was dead also. Yes, and the battery was dead. I mean, everything the whole thing was shot. Which I'm I'm surprised that it even uh, could physically stand up to the intense heat that must have been in there as well. So uh, it, it just seems like, a, like you said, just another one of these signs. Uh, now, has there been any kind of uh, incidents since then of uh, phone calls uh, where there's nobody there? Well, actually, uh, right after right after the other thing that happened, before we realized what was going on, and um, remember that we didn't just the next day suddenly decide this was going on. We, mm-hmm. we didn't realize it either. We were getting uh, calls on our house phone. Um, and I think the number was two seven. Was it Chris two seven two? Oh, geez, you know I had forgotten about that. Yeah, zero 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 number. zero. It was a and, zero uh, zero zero. Yeah. Yeah, and they kept and they kept coming, and there would be nobody there. And finally, I got. I mean, I was pretty agitated, so I called the phone company, and I said, I want to know whose phone this is because they keep calling us and hanging up, and and they told me that there is no such number. Hmm. The re- the reason why I ask is because uh, in our dealings, talking about the paranormal. It's, you hear quite often that there are "quote unquote" phone calls from the other side. The phone will ring and there's nobody there, right. and, it, and it just like you said, it's a number that's untraceable, a number that's non-existent that shows up on the caller ID. Yeah, and, right. that, and that happened to us. Yeah, is it something that does it still happen uh, from time to time, or is that kind of subsided? 
I, um, that that specifically uh, hasn't happened to me in a long time. No. No. I, I, but it, we it, have. There are other things. I mean, lights flickering, things like that, certainly, yeah. but not the phone calls now. Because one of the theories is that once. You know, the, the phone is a way of them to try to – it usually happens, uh, in, at least in my research. And there was a great story in a recent issue of uh, Fate magazine uh, which uh, talks about this, this incident where, where these phones will ring uh, when a loved one has passed. And it says specifically in that story that it will happen for the first couple of days after the passing or, you know, just for a brief time after the passing. And then the person finds another, another way, another medium to get the message yeah. through. Uh, okay, that, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. You're telling me something that I'd never heard before. Uh, but it, make, it makes perfect sense because that's what would happen. We had, we had a whole series of those calls within that first few days, and, and it just it's a way of letting you know that they are connect, and then that makes you more open to paying attention to some of the other signs. Yes, because I think even in today's busy world, even on the other side, people recognize that you know tying up the phone isn't always the best way to get a hold of somebody. <laughs> right. Right. We are coming up on a news break. Uh, what we'd like to do is we'll let you guys go take a break uh, during the news, and then we'll call you back right before we start the second hour, okay. if, if that works for you. Okay. Great. All right. Great. And uh, we will talk more about the story of Nick O'Neill and the number 41 and some more remembrances of his life and some of his uh, attempts to communicate after his passing. If you'd like to join in in the second hour, you can, 508 also, uh, we're gonna we're gonna suspend the week and weird segment uh, this week because it just wouldn't seem right to start cracking jokes about the news in the middle of this story. So, uh, we will bring that back next week when we will be joined by Brad Steiger, who actually might have written that article I was talking about in Fate. I'll have to go back and check, but uh, he's a frequent contributor to Fate magazine and also the author of many prolific books on hauntings, both uh, fiction and nonfiction. He'll join us next week. And a little bit later on tonight, we'll check in with science advisor Matt Moniz down at Eastern States Penitentiary with the uh, Wheezy Ron trip crew, uh, Donna LaCroix, Ron Millione, and Brian Wheezy Harnwell. So stay tuned for that. But, of course, we'll have more of Nikki O'Neill's story uh, coming up after the news. So you want to stay tuned for that. One other thing we want to mention real quick, Matt, uh, in the minute or so we have before the news, can you tell everybody about the uh, MDA muscular dystrophy event and what we're doing there? Sure. On um, March 13th of this year, Tim and I will be under arrest for a period of time for uh, to benefit muscular dystrophy in Jerry's kids. And if anybody would like to donate any money to bail us out or keep us locked up for the duration of that time, they can go under the uh, go on to SpookySouthCoast.com under the message board on the latest news, and you can find a link. Um, to donate some money to help Jerry's kids. All right, so, yeah, you can go right on the message board, check it out, and uh, we please, everybody, if you can, uh, make a small donation, uh, whatever you can do to help. And uh, wh- would you say we have to raise about 1200 Our goal is $1,200. That'll send um, a couple kids to summer camp and give a bunch of money to research and whatnot. And if you go to the actual site, you can see right on the site there's a listing of what your donations can do. Uh, it'll tell you, you know, if you donate $65, that funds one minute of research. Yep. You know, $100 donates a, a therapy session. So you actually see where it is that your money's going. So hopefully before that event, we can get somebody from the MDA to come on and talk with us a little bit about it. Uh, so, But for now, go to the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. 
and make your donation. And we'll also have more information coming up about uh, auction off for the Station 5-1 as well. Be right First, back on Spooky Cell. news, talk, and sports, this is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM. Where can you go to find hot homemade knitted items? How about Knitbits at knitbits.etsy.com. A new baby in your life? Need a homemade knitted item for a shower gift? The Knitbits has you covered. Sweaters, bibs, booties, blankets, they've got it all. Want to be up on the latest trends? How about some of those funky, cozy socks everybody's wearing? Or knitted handbags and cell phone holders? If they don't have it at Knitbits, or if you want it in a different color, email them and they'll take care of you. That's knitbits.etsy.com. K-N-I-T-B-I-T-S dot E-T-S-Y dot com. Knitbits, for all your homemade knitting needs. Asked for it, you got it, and this is Spooky South Coast Volume 2. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You Number two of Spooky South Coast on a very special edition. We are talking about Nikki O'Neill, the station nightclub fire tragedy, and some signs from the other side. And we'll get back into that discussion in just a moment with our guests, Chris O'Neill, Christian D. Resendez, and Dave Kane. Uh, we'll talk, uh, talk to them for about another half an hour or so, and then we'll check in with Matt Moniz down at Eastern States. But before we jump back into the discussion, just want to remind everybody, this Friday night at the Cape Cod Community College in Hyannis, uh, Barnstable, whatever they actually call it, but uh, you know, right, right there off uh, Route Three in Cape Cod, you can check out the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's open meeting for this month. Uh, it's free to the public. Uh, it begins at 7 p.m. Uh, just go to the college and follow the Caper signs, and they're going to present our haunted lives with guest Jeff Belanger, who has been a guest on this program in the past. Uh, it's the title of his latest book, but it's also the title of the presentation, and he's going to talk about the spirits that interact with us uh, in our daily lives. And, you know, perfect like what we're talking about today, you know, when you get these little messages uh, of reassurance that our loved ones have, you know, crossed over into whatever is beyond this life and that they are comfortable and, and happy and, and they are also keeping an eye on us. So if you'd like to, you know, experience a little bit more of this discussion uh, and, and share some of your own remembrances, you want to check that out. Also, Jeff is putting out the call for any paranormal uh, investigators around this area to head down there and meet him because in addition to being a uh, very uh, well-known author, Jeff Belanger is also the quote-unquote mayor 
of ghostvillage.com. He is the uh, founder of that website. And so he tries to tie together the paranormal community as best he can. So you want to check that out. Uh, I can only imagine it's going to be a great presentation. When we had him on, Matt, I mean, he was uh, phenomenal with his approach. He takes it from a journalistic point of view, which uh, not a lot of investigators and, and authors do that. They they take it more uh, with the fact uh, you know, of, of what Christian was saying. He doesn't like to put himself in his movies, but unfortunately as an investigator, you kind of have to put yourself into that because your own experiences are going to come through. And Jeff keeps that journalistic approach, you know, even when he's the one out there doing the investigation. So make sure you check that out. 7 o'clock Friday night, the Spooky Crew will be there. Come down, meet us, say hi, and uh, make sure you uh, drop a couple dollars in the donation bucket for the capers to help them keep these meetings going. So, all right, let's get back into the discussion with our guests, Chris O'Neill, the brother of Nikki O'Neill, and Dave Kane, his father, as well as Christian D. Resendez, the co-director of 41, the movie coming up about Nick's life. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, with this movie coming out, it's, you know, it just brings more attention to the fact that this does happen, uh, that, you know, there is communication from those who have passed on. And to be able to put a face that seems to be as... Um, charismatic as Nikki was, it helps to really bring it home that, hey, you know, you do receive these messages and you can't just dismiss them. Christian, is that uh, what you're trying to convey with the film? Uh, absolutely. I think that uh, Nick's life really represents something. His work meant something and continues to mean something. And, you know, when these things happen on a mass volume, you just can't ignore them. And um, I think he was blessed to have a family and a group of friends that really was open and receptive to the possibility and, you know, learned from it in a very positive way. Uh, and, and um, you know, how the number became, in a sense, and I don't even know if this is the right phrase, but kind of a coping mechanism uh, or, you know, a belief that, you know, he was with them and, and whatnot. So, and also the messages that they took from it. So um, I could go on and on, but yeah. I mean, now, how much of the film deals with the significance of the number 41 when he was alive and how much of it uh, in the days after his passing? Well, I would say that the, the movie's uh, a little under two hours long. So the first half is actually his life and about at the hour point, um, along with our you know kind of timeline, uh, Nick passes in the fire, and the last hour or, you know, say 55% of the movie is actually the coping and the understanding and, uh, the you know, the amount of stories, the play, and whatnot. And if you go to 41themovie.com, you can check out the trailer, but I get from watching the trailer, and I've watched it numerous times, I get the sense that this movie is definitely a celebration of his life. Absolutely. It, and the tone of it seems to be just everybody has a smile on their face when they're remembering Nicky. Yeah, and, you know, there's been a lot, and, you know, understandably so, of course, that, you know, the, the horrible pain that uh, this fire has, you know, caused for family and friends of loved ones. And, uh, you know, Nikki was such a unique person that um, I think his family has, you know, grown to understand it in so many, has grown to understand this kind of tragedy in a lot of, different ways than, you know, maybe other people have not. And so, um, yeah. I think it's important, too, uh, even, I mean, it's been four, it'll be four years this Tuesday since this tragic event, but there's not really been a great deal of, of healing for those who knew someone that was involved in this tragedy. It, it seems like every time people get closer and closer to 
feeling some degree of closure around it. It's, it's ripped back open again with these news headlines, the trials, and everything that's going on. Is it important for you as a filmmaker to be able to put one, I, I don't want to say positive, but, you know, one uplifting side to this tragedy that there is, you know, hope for these people who suffered? Yeah, um, the thing that I feel is one of the film's strengths is that it's not a, a typical film that would have been done about the tragedy if a film is to have ever been is to be done down the line. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a unique combo, combination of elements, and you know we keep coming back to the word positive and spiritual and you know coping. Uh, we have this movie coming out in a few days called The Number Twenty Three. Um, which everybody's asked me, have you seen the trailer for the number 23? I'm like, well, of course it has. The only, uh, of course I have. The only thing that bothers me about it in the slightest is that um, it's, it, it's a negative conclusion. It's kind of like, you know, Hollywood will throw out these things, and the only direction they can go with it is horrific and mm -hmm. mental insanity, and it's kind of implied that he goes crazy and attempts to kill his family. In this film, uh, 41, you know, there's a truth. It's obviously a documentary, and it concludes in something that is a, a massive um, spiritual understanding of what Nicky represented in his play, uh, and, and you know what his work is going to mean for several people, you know, from from here on in who learn about him. So it, it, it's a positive conclusion in in, um, in the realm of documentary, but it's you know when they have to do something fictional, Hollywood always has to has to take that slant and do something bloody, you know. Well, I mean, when you found out about that movie, was it, uh, you know, did you have uh, reservations about continuing to call your film 41? I mean, it's obviously so important to the story, but uh, you, were you hoping there wouldn't be those associations between the two films? No, no, it, it didn't. I think that the associations would kind of help, you know. The, the timing of it is interesting, you know, only three days after the fourth anniversary of the fire, mm -hmm. so um, that, that the film is coming out. So the you know the only association that might not be good is if it's a really bad film, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if uh, uh, the I don't know what types of reviews it's getting. Well, it's um, Jim Carrey but, taking uh, a dramatic turn, so well, yeah, you know, yeah, way, I can't hurt him. In a way, it's just kind of I think just another manifestation of the fact that people are suddenly starting to become really interested in this. Mm -hmm. this Absolutely, whole, you know, this whole sphere of numerology and synchronicity and. You know, and uh, the the meaning behind things. So this just happens to be the way that Hollywood wants to express that right now. And now your film uh, has not debuted yet, but like I said, the trailer is available at forty one themovie dot com. There's also a link to it on SpookySouthCoast dot com. Uh, what is the plan uh, for the release of the movie? Well, we're going through the festival circuit now, um, and we're very very early in the stages. Um, I should say that the film is not 100% complete yet. It's currently being scored by a composer named Michael Tioli, who lives out in L.A. He's originally from New Hampshire. And uh, that'll be done within the next month or month and a half. And, uh, you know, our meanwhile, we're waiting, uh, sending it off to distribution companies, networks. Uh, you know, getting it on the festival circuit is very important for the visibility because then other networks who may not respond right away will say, oh, you played, you know, one or two or three other festivals, and, you know, if we're really lucky, we might get an award or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then they'll look at those credentials, and they'll be like, oh, okay, well, you know, things take notice on those, on those levels, and, you know, people will take the film more seriously, and, and it could lead to, you know, wider exposure. 
So trying to see, like, kind of be very, very patient. Um, you know, the other day, you know, I drove here the other day from uh, New York, and I heard that uh, Tom Petty song, The Waiting is the Hardest Part. Yeah. That's pretty much, uh, I, I, I could uh, relate to that. So we're kind of in that stage right now, and we're just going to, but we're excited, so we're going to wait and see what happens. Hey, but when there's definitely a local uh, premiere, we'll have to let people know plenty of time. Uh, we'll have you back on to talk about it so we can let everybody know so that they don't miss the opportunity to see the film. Absolutely. And uh, maybe there can also be an arrangement to uh, show it at the stadium theater, and you can sit in the seat with the plaque bearing Nick's name. Uh, Dave, why don't you tell us the story about that about that seat? Well, it's kind of interesting because because uh, Nick was a member of Encore Performers, and uh, after he passed, they wanted to do something for him. Now, they didn't know anything about the 41 thing yet, um, and uh, they just wanted to do something, so they put a plaque. The, the stadium theater has uh, plaques available for people to buy in memorial, et cetera, and so they gave Nick his own plaque, uh, and they didn't have, uh, they didn't know anything about the number 41, and uh, uh, there are no 40, seats 41 numbered in, in the stadium theater, but they gave us this plaque, and they put it on a chair, and it was only after... Uh, some time after when I realized that the plaque is on a chair that is on the fourth row, first seat, 41. So <laughs> just, a, just another sign. Just another sign. <laughs> now, uh, when you put together the book 41 Signs of Hope, uh, was your intent to try to convey to the reader that uh, there are these signs around us from our loved ones if we pay attention? Mainly, yes, but also uh, mainly it was to validate their own feelings. You know, we have... So many people who have had these experiences, and yet they don't tell anybody or they're afraid that they'll be looked upon as just being grief-stricken, uh, imagining things. And I wanted people to know that these are real. I wanted them to know not only are they real if they're getting them, but that they can get these signs, and maybe they're missing these signs. And so I wrote this book. It was very easy to write because so many things were happening. And we wrote them down, and now so many people are writing to me. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to put together a series called 41 Signs of Hope, Your Stories, where we would tell other people's experiences and stories to also validate uh, for people who are looking and know that they're not, they're not imagining this stuff. It's really happening, and they need to know it. Well, we have uh, plenty of listeners worldwide who uh, download this show all week long, so uh, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to share their stories? Well, it's very simple. They can go to the website, 41signsofhope.com, and we'd be more than happy. They can write to me there. I'd be more than happy. I, I write back to everybody, and uh, we'll take their initial story, and when we start to put the stuff together, we'll get back to them and get more details. Uh, because if you look at the book, the story that we've written about Nick, of course, there are a lot of details, a lot of background, so that you understand the story better. And so that's what we're going to try to do. We want people to know that life does not end. We want people to know that it continues and that their loved ones, not only would they never want to leave them, that they don't leave them. And, of course, you can also get the book through the website, 41signsofhope.com, and uh, available. Yeah, or, or any, or any uh, bookstore. I mean, you can order it at a bookstore. It's a for really book, Tim. Mm -hmm. And, by the way, I want to tell you how, what a good job Matt's doing. I never realized what a good interviewer he was. <laughs> He's, uh, Pick up any time, Matt. That'll be fine. This is, this is pretty much, we call him the silent assassin because he just doesn't <laughs> say anything and he just executes uh, all the stuff over there and he's just amazing in, in what he can do. And, and Now, uh, one of the things I did want to mention before we run out of time is that 
They Walk Among Us is going to be on Rhode Island television this Tuesday. Okay. Um, we're running it. We've been running it every year since uh, it was produced, uh, and it'll be on K- uh, Cox Cable 70, Channel 70 on Cox Communications at 6 o'clock on Channel 70, and you can see uh, They Walk Among Us, uh, and you can see the kind of work that Nikki wrote. You can see the kind of direction that Chris does. You can see the kind of uh, videography and editing that Christian DeResendes does, and uh, and you'll hear uh, Nikki's brother's voice, Billy, uh, singing in the show before the show. That before the show starts, there's a, a sort of a pre-show with a song that Billy wrote for Nick, and uh, Billy uh, Nikki's brother David is playing yeah. the part that Nikki wrote for himself, Cyrus the Angel, and is- it's all going to be on Cox Channel 70. Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Is there any plans for a DVD release, or maybe when, when 41 is eventually released on DVD to maybe tie them together? There are lots of plans for a lot of projects, and uh, we're, we're just going to let this grow at its own pace and grow the way we know uh, it's supposed to happen by just following uh, the leads that we get. Okay, and one more thing that I do want to touch upon before we uh, before we let you guys go. We did mention this earlier in the show, and I completely understand if you don't want to comment on the situation, or maybe you can't uh, because of um, possible ongoing court proceedings or anything, but I want to talk about the band Great White and some of their reaction uh, to this tragedy. Now, they did lose a member of the band in the fire, Ty Longley, their guitarist, uh, and they've agreed to no longer play uh, play the song Desert Moon uh, in concert, and they don't, no longer use pyrotechnics. Uh, is is a couple of things that they said that they would do. But uh, they also promised to do fundraising for the families, and it never really panned out, did it? No, it didn't pan out. Now they're, uh, I understand they're, they're, they're doing something for whale seals or yeah, some that, foolishness. That's uh, what I have a big, big problem with. Yeah, the couple of questions that I have is, first of all, where is Jack Russell and why isn't he behind bars, mm-hmm. number one? Uh, number two, for Ty Longley, uh, we, we could see Nicky in the last moments uh, before he passed. He was standing right in front of Ty Longley. We know from witnesses that he assisted Ty Longley in getting off the stage. Uh, and, of course, they both passed. Um, he, he, of course, is a tragedy as well. Uh, but this goes back to the whole thing about, you know, Jack Russell, who is not only not in, in prison, but he just recently had a series of uh, facelifts to, to get himself pretty again. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tragedy. He's a tragedy. And I think uh, he will reap his own reward when the time comes. Yeah, Jack Russell, kind of an appropriate name because the guy's kind of a dog. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, it just seemed when I first heard that story, and I believe it was on uh, another radio station. There's a, a sports station out of Boston that uh, frequently takes the Dedarians to task. Uh, that's kind of a personal vendetta between one of the hosts and and uh, one of the Dedarians. I'm sure you're familiar with that story behind the scenes, Dave. Yeah. But uh, they were the ones that pointed out that Great White was now raising money for these seals, and uh, I just thought it would be great if people would contact the band. And, I mean, hey, I'm all for saving seals. I mean, seals do need to be saved. I understand where they're coming from. But I think that they have a responsibility to take care of those associated with the tragedy that, in effect, they caused. So I would recommend that everybody, you know, contact the band through this donation process and say, yeah, well, we do have money we'd like to donate, but we're not donating it to this cause. We want to donate it to one of these station-related funds. And uh, is there a central website where people can get to to find some of these uh, charities associated you with know, the station? No, I really don't have that, but you can. I'm sure you can contact the station. I believe the station family fund is a, 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 dot, a dot .org or a dot .com, I'm not sure. 
and the other is the Station Family Memorial Station Fire Memorial Fund. Well, we'll make sure that what we do is when we put the show up online on the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com, we'll get as many of the links together as we can, Thanks. and we'll tie it in so that people can just click right there and, and know where to go. Now, uh, in in the final few moments that we have here, what are some of the um, just the feelings of other victims, uh, other uh, families of victims, uh, in terms of your story and and the signs that Nikki's been able to give to you? I mean, is it uplifting for them? Does it give them hope that maybe you know their loved ones are in a better place as well? Well, we've gotten a lot of response from a lot of people. Um, it, it, it's a very I can't I can't explain the situation these families are in. Uh, they are just completely devastated. But those who have a chance to get out from under their pain for a few minutes and open their hearts, uh, they've really uh, received some great uh, reinforcement, and that's what we're glad to do with the book. Uh, it's been very tough for a lot of people, um, and it still goes on, and I hope people won't forget it. Right, and, again, that's uh, tomorrow, you said, uh, will be the memorial at the station site. What time was that again? It's 1 o'clock tomorrow at the station nightclub site. And then at Tuesday, uh, 6 o'clock on Channel 70, Cox Cable uh, will be the uh, running of uh, They Walk Along Us. So make sure that uh, if you have a chance to view that, that you do, and make sure that you get down there for the memorial service as well. Will there be family speaking at the service, or is it kind of just uh, uh, Actually, um, the speak, our, a keynote speaker is uh, Arlene Violet. Who is? Uh, Arlene Violet is a former attorney general. She's a talk show host in Rhode Island. Uh, and uh, she is going. She's been very supportive of the, uh, the station victims, and and she'll be speaking. Okay. Well, we thank you for joining us again. Uh, if you'd like to check out the trailer for the upcoming film, you can go to forty one themovie.com. That's the number four, the number one, themovie.com. And you can also and check. We, actually, we we should point out that um, people certainly should visit the site, but uh, a lot of people find it much easier to play the uh, trailer on YouTube. Oh, okay. uh, so you can uh, you can view. Um, yep. Chris, I was checking tonight. We've had over uh, about almost 1,900 hits. Wow. 1,900, wow. That's double yeah. what it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. So um, if you just go to YouTube, do a, a, a very easy search, uh, 41 and Station Night Club Fire, it would be one of the first things to come up. All right. And you can check out uh, Dave's book, 41 Signs of Hope, at 41signsofhope.com. Again, the number four, the number one, signsofhope.com. Gentlemen, we thank you all for joining us tonight and sharing Nikki's story and your and your story, your recollections of what's gone on since. And uh, we hope you keep us up to date in any uh, future, uh, you know, when the movie comes around. And, uh, Dave, when you come out with the other series, if that does pan out. Yeah, well, thanks so much. for. We, we really want to thank you very much. And you got all the plugs in, too, Tim. <laughs> hey, I've only, been, I've only been doing this for about a year, Dave. You're a pro at this. Well, you're so. doing a great job. I I'm appreciate that. that. Really, if you can get your co-host to be that quiet, you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, pal. All right, thanks, Tim, guys. Thank you. Thank you really much. appreciate it. And we'll, we'll be in touch. Take care, and uh, I hope uh, everybody has a, a good day on Tuesday. I hope that uh, there's a lot of positive, uplifting signs. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you right. later. We're going to take a break, and then on the other side, we'll check in with science advisor Matt Moniz down at Eastern States Penitentiary, and uh, we'll talk to maybe some of the uh, people involved in the Ron Weezy trips down there, or Weezy Ron trips. I'm sorry. I keep pronouncing that wrong. Uh, I guess uh, there's been uh, not as many uh, investigators were able to make it as we thought, but we'll uh, we'll get in touch with them. So we'll be back in about three minutes here on Spooky South Coast.
back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, silent assassin Matt Costa behind the boards. And down in Eastern States Penitentiary, we have our science advisor, Matt Moniz, down there. And we're going to check in with him. Uh, how are you tonight, Matt? I am fine, Tim. How are you guys tonight? Spooktacular, as always. We just had a great conversation with uh, three people uh, sharing the story of Nikki O'Neill with us. So make sure you uh, get a chance to check that out. I know that you really wanted to be part of the show and... I'm yeah, sorry that with the timing it didn't really work out for you, but uh, unfortunately it didn't. But in a fortunate way, it worked out here because uh, I've been trying to help Brian and uh, Ron as best I can, and uh, they put on a great, great expedition down here. And now, uh, give everybody just a real quick uh, background on what Eastern States is, if they haven't uh, haven't seen the episode of Ghost Hunters or researched it. Okay, Eastern State Penitentiary was the first uh, federal type of penitentiary built 180 years ago. It has 30-foot wall, 30-foot-high walls. It is uh, a somewhat set up like a, uh, a wagon wheel in the middle of it. Uh, you have a central rotunda and spokes that radiate out from uh, the center. Mm-hmm. Now, when you stand in the rotunda, you can look down the hallways and see pretty much down every every type of cell block. Uh, Al Capone was imprisoned here for a while, as well as a number of other uh, notorious criminals. Uh, there's death row. There's been numerous people that have been executed here. There's been many violent crimes that have occurred here over the years, you know, given it is a penitentiary. Um, a lot of misery and suffering have gone on here. A lot of death. It's also the site uh, for Ghost Hunters fans of where the shadowy figure caused uh, Brian Hanwa to scream out, Dude, run. Right. That's my next stop is that next hallway. Well, I'm assuming that one of the major objectives while you're down there is to try to re- uh, try to capture this figure on footage once again. Uh, yeah. Well, um... I know it's yeah. plagued Brian since, uh, since the time that he saw it. Well, yeah, Brian's come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now you already conducted investigations last night, or...? Yes, I did. I uh, had a few things happen. Uh, I was basically uh, yelled at and hissed at, uh, charged. Uh, oh, I'm not talking so. about the people that went on the trip. I'm talking about the ghosts. Yeah, so am I. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we we have a number of people with us tonight. Last he's, night he's, was t- about he's tired, people. man. He's tired. He's he's not catching on to the... That's okay. I had to take at least one dig at you per show. It's the new That's... That's okay. Like I said, I've had very little sleep the past three days. I can imagine. I can imagine now. And so you said that uh, there's been some experiences, though, uh, with oh, yeah. the people who went on the trip were experiencing things as well? Oh, people on the trip here, uh, other investigators, Keith Age is here. He brought some of his thermal stuff. He got some stuff on thermal. Ron Millions got some stuff. Brian had some encounters. I had some encounters. There's a number of people out here. Uh, there are three or four um, tour guides uh, or uh, group leaders, mm-hmm. myself. Uh, uh, Ron Millione, mm-hmm. Brian, and a couple other people, and we were escorting around roughly groups of fifteen to twenty, uh, taking turns down each hallway. It's a huge place. Uh, it's almost—I would say—almost as big as Waverly, but it's just set up different in terms of area-wise. So uh, it, de- definitely a lot harder investigation than the Lizzie Borden house was. And so now you said you're about to start doing some EVP work with your group? Yes, I am. So uh, I'm getting ready to go back and start EVP work with the guys now. And then the plan is tomorrow for everybody to do like an evidence analysis and see what they can come up with? 
basically, yeah. And where would that be done? Is that are you all staying at like a hotel or? Yeah, and uh, we'll be getting back to that. In the meantime, I gotta get back to my group, guys. All right. All we right. thank you for checking in with us. We'll talk to you uh, when you come back on Monday. You got it, guys, and uh, have a good rest of the show. All right, give me a buzz tomorrow if you get a chance. You got it. All right, uh, good investigating. Stay safe. Thank you, guys. All Bye. right. That is right. Science Advisor Matt Moniz joining us from Eastern States Penitentiary down in Pennsylvania. And uh, like like you said, you know, there's uh, groups of about 15 to 20 people, so there's it's a wider space, so they're able to bring a lot more people than they could to the Lizzie Borden house. I mean, the Borden house is just so small uh, in comparison that uh, they had to kind of limit the numbers, but I know the plan is to try to get as many people out there and experiencing things as they can, and so that's why it's important to have, you know, somebody with experience like Matt Moniz, like a Ron Millione, like a Brian Hanwar, Keith Age, leading these groups, because a lot of these people jumping into it might have no idea, no experience investigating the paranormal. Matt, you, you can attest to this. When we first started going out uh, and poking around, we were kind of without direction until you know Matt joined us and he started showing us some techniques and some ways of doing things. Yeah, we were kind of just running, running around with flashlights and tape recorders we're, in I mean, cemeteries. We, we were fortunate no. enough to catch something, but yeah. uh, you know that might not always be the case if you don't know what it is that you're looking for. I was surprised that they, um, they're going to be doing some EVP work with that many people in the group. I think maybe it's a case of because maybe the... Maybe they can just spread out. Yeah, of. because it's so big of a place. Uh, like You know, like uh, when we talked to Matt Moniz about his trip to Waverly Hills, he said it was easy to do EVP mm -hmm. work there because, you know, you could see everybody that was in front of you for hundreds of yards. So maybe it's a similar type situation. Maybe uh, yeah. I'm sure it's well coordinated enough so that they know where each group's going to be at yeah, each I'm time. I'm not too familiar with the layout of that place anyway. So uh, from what yeah. I saw on the episode of Ghost Hunters, I just remember like what <clears throat> Matt was talking about—a central rotunda with the wings going off. And if you've seen some of the pictures uh, that they took at that site that they put up on you know the Taps website and the Sci-Fi website and their MySpaces, you can see just how long some of these hallways are. Uh, where they took pictures of themselves standing in front of this long hallway, and it's it's incredible. I I applaud their efforts for trying to get down there and leading groups into this place and, and covering every square inch of it. Now, uh, while we uh, we have about what twenty minutes so left in the show, and so if you would like to call in and share some of your paranormal experiences, some of your stories or questions, uh, you can give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 508-291-0500. Maybe you've had a spirit visit you in the past. Maybe you've had uh, something happen that you'd like to relate to our listeners. We got an interesting email from somebody earlier this week, uh, a local person, I'm assuming, uh, because they, they put in a phone number that seemed to be a local number. So, uh, But they had actually captured some photographic evidence uh, in their apartment that they wanted to share with us. And so I invite them to email that to us or drop it off here at the station at our attention or uh, come and grab us when we're going in and out of the studio. If you have evidence that you would like to share to us, share with us, then please, by all means, because we're, you know, Matt Costa and I, we are by no means experts in the paranormal field. Well, there are no experts, but we're in, in, we don't have the experience and the uh, analysis experience, the investigative experience. But we know people who do. Exactly. We've created, hopefully, a, a solid network of people so that if you do have something anomalous and you want us to check it out, we can get it to a Keith Johnson, uh, to a Matt Moniz, to a Brian Harnwell. We can get it out to these people and, and see what they think, people whose opinions that not only do we support and trust but that are hopefully known enough in the field that – 
the people submitting the evidence will trust their opinions as well. Matter a lot more than ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, our opinions don't mean anything, <laughs> which is uh, all we are is just two schmucks behind a microphone. Sure. Uh, but we are trying to become a little bit more uh, involved and, and a little bit more into the investigative side of things. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about also is getting out uh, and spreading this word into the community and letting people know that the paranormal is there and that it does exist and that it is real. And it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about this and I never really, we, we probably talk like 40 hours a week, you and I, because we yeah. work together in our day job and, and we constantly have conversations. But At one least thing, 40 hours. If not yeah, more. If not yeah. more. And it, most of the time it's similar to this show. It's just me doing a lot of talking and Matt listening because I just never shut up. That's true. But I never really ask your opinion. I, I know that we've kind of opened the doors of belief a little bit for you because you're a skeptic by nature. You really didn't come into doing Spooky South Coast as a big believer in the paranormal, but you did have an interest in it. Now that you've been able to experience some things and, and been around some paranormal occurrences... Do you feel comfortable going out and presenting to the public the idea that the paranormal is real? Do I feel comfortable promoting the paranormal is real? I'm not sure. Um, do I? It's probably out there. I mean, you don't go out. There's, uh, there's evidence to support it. There's evidence to support the unknown. How about that? Well, you're not going out there and you're not standing at a podium at an event and saying, you know, hi, I'm Matt Costa and ghosts exist. You know, you're going out there and you're saying, I'm part of this group and, you know, I do bring a skeptical nature to it. And there is, like you said, there is evidence that it exists. But, I mean, are you at least have enough of a belief that there is stuff going on that you feel comfortable uh, presenting it? Yeah, I probably could. I, it's, I could probably get into, in front of a podium and say, this is stuff that I can't explain. This mm -hmm. is stuff that I not like there's no scientific you you kind of or... you kind of brought me over to that side in some respects because i i jumped into this thing hey i know the paranormal's real i've had experiences yeah we kind of pulled you, you i pulled you you pulled me yeah we, we kind of, <laughs> and we're kind of slowly meeting in a middle ground i think it's taking me a little bit longer to get into that middle ground because i'm still a fanatical believer in the paranormal but you've made me question some things you know, two years ago, before Spooky South Coast existed, if I had gone out and captured EVPs, I would have been like, you know, this is absolutely the spirit of a this is a ghost talking to us on a tape recorder. This yep. is ridiculous. And I'd be out there in cemeteries every night trying to communicate with these ghosts. But, you know, some of the skepticism that you've helped bring into it makes me say, you know, wait a minute. Maybe there could be something else going on. Maybe it's cross radio waves. Maybe it's, some, you know, maybe it's something going on. And I'm less likely to jump to the paranormal mm -hmm as the immediate answer, which has been the benefit of, of what you bring. So that's why, you know, Dave kind of cracked a joke at you. Dave came there, kind of cracked a joke at you and saying, you know, hey, your, your co-host doesn't say much, but we always say it, and we're not just kidding when we say it. Matt doesn't speak a lot, but when he does, it's worth listening to. And it's definitely had an effect on how this show runs, uh, especially behind the scenes. So, uh, again, if you'd like to call up and share your experiences of the paranormal, try to convince Matt Costa a little bit more, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. You can also do so in person this Friday night at the Capers Open Meeting at 7 o'clock at Cape Cod Community College uh, in Hyannis. Now, we've uh, been to quite a few of these open meetings. Uh, we had the, I think the last one I went to was in September when they brought in Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Yeah, I don't think we've been since. Which... I know I haven't because I usually work Friday nights at one of my other jobs. 
So uh, I don't get the opportunity to go out. But every time we go, it seems these audiences are building and growing and growing. And I think that's not reflective of mm -hmm. the amount of people that are interested in the paranormal. I think it's reflective of the amount of people that are willing to admit that they have an interest in the paranormal. Mm -hmm. I think I remember uh, the first meeting that I went to about a year ago, and there was only maybe half a dozen people there. And then at that Rosemary thing, it filled up a whole theater. Yeah. A whole, uh, and from, classroom. from what I understand, the last meeting they had where they showed uh, some video footage and they showed inside the Bridgewater Triangle, which you can still download from Google Videos, and there's still a link on SpookySouthCoast.com if you miss that. But uh, from what I understand, they drew quite a crowd for that as well, and they're expecting even bigger numbers for Jeff Belanger because, like I said, he is the mayor of Ghost mm -hmm. Village, so he's uh, quite the popular guy. Now, uh, have you heard anything from anybody uh, regarding last week's Bridgewater Triangle show? I haven't heard anything uh, exactly, but that's probably because I don't have a <laughs> computer. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> We're actually both in a very unique uh, situation. This has never happened. It's it's ridiculous, actually, uh, that both your computer is not working and my desktop computer is not working. And with Matt Mo, uh, between him working so much and, and running around on uh, some of these paranormal trips that he has, he's in addition to uh, the trip that he's making this weekend, he's also got something lined up for next weekend, so he won't be with us next weekend, but we'll check in with him by phone. He's going to be working with Granite State Paranormal next weekend, uh, but... You know, we're we're kind of just dependent on my one laptop right now yeah. to to keep this show uh, surviving. If and it's Bill Gates or Steve Jobs is, are listening right now, <laughs> if they're fans of the paranormal, they can send either of us a computer. Absolutely, absolutely. Whenever they want, we could we could take it. You know, I thought about putting out a, a link, <laughs> uh, a PayPal donation link on our website and saying, you know, we're we're really stuck right now, and if you like this show and you'd like it to continue going on. You know, donate a couple of bucks and help us get our computers back up and running because we sure as heck can't afford it ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, but I just I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. It's more important that our listeners donate what money they can to causes like the Station Fire Fund and the Station Family Fund and uh, helping us out in our efforts to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. But, hey, you know, if, uh, if the troubleshooter Tom Martino is listening and he wants to throw us a computer, <laughs> we'll take it, too. But uh, getting back to the Bridgewater Triangle stuff, uh, last weekend, uh, of course, if you missed it, uh, you can download it. It's a huge three-and-a-half-hour program dedicated to the Bridgewater Triangle. And we had Haunted Paranormal Research Society out in the field as one of our field teams investigating the triangle while we talked about it. And they have posted the evidence that they captured on their website. And uh, we'll, uh, if you go to their site, hauntedprs.org, you can see some of these interesting photos that they captured with uh, some anomalies in them. And you can also uh, read their accounts of what happened. Now, remember, if you're listening last week, Brian Bell actually got pushed by something at the Shad Factory Pond. So you can read about that account. Also, uh, Luann, one of our listeners that was out uh, investigating Stonehill College in Anawan Rock, is in the process of reviewing all of her EVPs. Uh, she captured quite a few. She sent me a link to some of the ones she got in Anawan Rock, and there are some that are very interesting. And uh, I know I haven't gotten back to her, uh, exactly. <laughs> she she sent me a message saying, you know, here's the link to these EVPs. Where do you want me to put them? What do you want to do with them? And I feel bad because without a computer, I haven't been able to get yep. back in touch with her. So, Luann, if you're listening, feel free to link them up on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, uh, as you usually do with your EVPs. Put them up there. At least that way there it gets it out there for the listeners. And then we'll see what we can do about getting them up on the site. But I've I've kind of just been dependent on when I can get over into the Standard Times and use one of their computers for a few minutes uh, for right now. 
But uh, there, so there is some evidence out there that's been captured. And there are other teams. I know Matt Moniz and John Horrigan still have to go over a lot of their evidence. So uh, it will be flowing uh, as the weeks go along, and we will make sure we post anything that's uh, found up on SpookySouthCoast.com. Even if it's, you know, if somebody says there might be something here, I'm not sure, and we don't hear anything, we're still going to put it out there because you never know what people might be able to find. Now, did Haunted post up their pictures on our site, or did they post them on They put them on their site. Uh, I don't know if they put them on our site. I haven't Just taken a look at them. They're, they are pretty interesting. There is, there's one. There's actually one from a previous investigation they did, which... Uh, at the Triangle? No, or? it's at a different location, but uh, they have uh, a figure that appears behind one of their investigators in a photo, and then in the next photo taken just seconds later, there's a different, like a demonic face behind another investigator, and I... Uh, you know, it's really interesting when you look at it. I mean, it took me a while to see what it was they were talking about. And I, I don't want to say it's, you know, I had to stare at it and cross my eyes like a sailboat popping out of one of those 3D pictures. Maybe it's a schooner. No, it wasn't a schooner. It's a oh. sailboat. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's it, it wasn't one of those type of situations. I mean, it's really, I think it was more my monitor being reflective. But, you know, uh, these are people whose opinion I take seriously. And if they're saying, you know, that, there's something popping up in that picture, then I take that, you know, I take their word for it. And it's the same thing with these triangle photos. You know, they're showing a mist that is very dense and uh, just starting to form. And you say, well, that could be breath, that could be fog, that could be cigarette smoke, any of these other signs. But if they say that it isn't, then, you know, I I believe them. And uh, if that's the case, and these, this is some very uh, interesting anomalies in these photos. So, uh was there uh, something else going on with Spooky South Coast that you want to talk about a little bit? Um, I believe on March 8th, which is a couple months late of our birthday party, but <laughs> our actual anniversary. A but couple weeks too soon. We're going to uh, celebrate our birthday on March 8th at Knuckleheads in New Bedford. And, uh, and of course, we've, we've had Stoney, uh, the owner of the, of the establishment, on our show before uh, talking about freak shows. But why don't you uh, let everybody know what you have planned Planned. You like how I put you on the spot like that? <laughs> well, yeah, I know that. That much is that much is confirmed. At seven o'clock. Um, whoa, whoa, where'd the seven o'clock come from? I haven't heard that yet. Oh, that's that's uh, something okay. I just made up. Okay. Um, the band is to be announced. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I have heard of them. They have <laughs> that. Uh, they have that great first album. Yeah. Um, what was the name of their first album? Captain Morgan Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Free beer here. Yeah. Uh, we we have yet to find a band, but it is in the works, and more details to come on. Uh, I'll probably post it up on the message board when, when within the week. Well, uh, so. we're we're kind of running out of time here, so you're gonna find a band. If maybe if there's a band listening, a local band here in the South Coast area that would like to play real cheap, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, this is being fully funded out of our own pockets. Uh, so maybe uh, there's a band listening that would like to play and like to get in contact with Matt. They can do so by emailing him, Matt at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, now what's your plan? Are you going to go out and hear these bands play, or do you want them to send you CDs? Um, they or? can send me a, either a CD or an MP3. Send it to the um, to my email, Matt at SpookySouthCoast, or send, me, or send me a link to maybe your MySpace music page. or And then hope, yeah. hopefully... Uh, we can get somebody together. I mean, we we talked about it. The, the if point all, is, if all else fails, maybe Matt Moniz knows how to beatbox. He might. I wouldn't he, be surprised. I don't put anything past him anymore. Now, you know what? If he doesn't know how to beatbox, he knows somebody that does, <laughs> because sure. uh, he he's a pretty well connected guy. But 
our our purpose here is isn't to um you know, we're not trying to break the next Beatles here. You know, we're just trying to put on a show uh for our fans to show some appreciation for them supporting us and to get a chance to get out there and meet them and talk to them about the show. So I mean, maybe a band isn't all that important to it. Maybe we can still get some sort of get together going. We just want to be able to get out there and meet you and and talk to you about your experiences with the paranormal. Let you know that we're here each week for you to talk to. And speaking of being here each week for you to talk to, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, next week we'll be joined by Brad Steiger, who has uh, actually been communicating with Matt over the last couple of weeks. And now, would you? What's the name of his latest book, Matt? Uh, his latest book is actually a reprint of a book that he released in, I think it was 1970, called Revelation. And what is it's that about? about? Uh, Biblical prophecies and things, ah. things of that nature. And then um, I believe the book right before that was called Conspiracies and Hidden. Um, <laughs> cults and, I'm oh. not sure. I'm not sure exact, the exact title. It's, it's interesting <laughs> because he has, he's, he's, like, he's like the spooky south coast of authors. I mean, he runs the entire gamut of subject matters. Uh, he's probably most famous known for his ghost books, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. But he does seem to cover every aspect. I mean, I've read articles in Faith that he's written on cryptozoology. Uh, he just seems to be across the board, you know, well-researched in, in every area. Of the. I don't know how we're going to direct next week's show. We're going to have so much we can talk about with him. Exactly. I don't and, know. And then, of course, uh, in March, we, might be preempt- we will be preempted for a couple of weeks with the March Madness Tournament. Uh, so far as I know, the station will be running that. But if uh, if it if that is the case, we'll still post shows up on SpookySouthCoast.com. And through our affiliation with PlanetParanormal.com, you'll be able to catch shows live uh, when we're not on the air at WBSM. But, of course, we want you to join us here every Saturday night at 10. Uh, in, in addition to Brad joining us next week, I just got a great letter uh, from somebody, uh, from a publisher who we've worked with some of their clients before. And she... Uh, sent me a letter about an author who just put out a book about orbs, uh, which is a really polarizing topic in the paranormal field because so many people easily dismiss them. Uh, there's a school of thought that says, hey, you can't easily dismiss them because they're so prominent and unexplainable in a lot of circumstances. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm definitely going to book this guest because it seems like it's some, something that we can talk about and we can bring in people from both sides of the discussion. Now, Jeff Belanger, who will be at the Capers Open Meeting on Friday, what he talked to us before said he'd actually talked to representatives from Kodak and Polaroid about orbs and about photographic anomalies and how easily they can happen. So, you know, maybe we can get some of these uh, experts from the photo industry to come on with us. It might be an interesting topic. So uh, if, if you'd like to maybe send us some orb photos that uh, you've captured, uh, send them to us at SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or post them up on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com and we'll see if we can put them all together and uh, see if we can put like a little package together online for when we do that show. It, it, sounds, it sounds to me like it would be a really interesting topic to explore uh, because while we dismiss orbs as an, uh, evidence of the paranormal, you know, maybe we're jumping the gun. Maybe we're cutting things off where we shouldn't. Uh, it's just... It's a fascinating topic, and for somebody to have spent the time to research it and write a book about it, you know, I think we owe it to to them to be able to present this on the airwaves and, and share the story. Unless you totally disagree, um, it's probably uh, definitely be a heated debate. Uh, I think among, so. I think so. I, I mean, you have people who just get into the paranormal who are all about orbs and kind of uh, seasoned 
paranormal investigators who kind of dismiss them. What's interesting but, is when you get one of those paranormal investigators yeah. that doesn't readily dismiss an orb sure. that they've captured. Yeah, who knows who's right and who's wrong. Exactly. So uh, make sure that you stay tuned. We'll let you know when that's coming up. Uh, we're also going to have Rick Hayes come back. Uh, he's going to share some more readings for people. Uh, Dr. Turry is excited. Dr. Lewis Turry, who we had a couple of weeks ago, he's excited about coming back and doing readings uh, for our guests as well. And, you know, we've we've had some pretty interesting uh, topics in the recent weeks. And if you've missed some of the shows, or if you're new to the show, you can download every episode of Spooky South Coast ever from our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, just go to the blog there. You can listen to them as an archive stream. You can also go to iTunes and download them all. Or, of course, wherever you get your paranormal podcasts, uh, plant, uh, podcastalley.com, podcastpickle.com. Uh, pretty much if it's some sort of funny word and then podcast, then it's we're there. Uh, and also, uh, if you go to planetparanormal.com, you can get some archive shows there as well. And remember, if we're not on the air here in the coming weeks, we'll probably be there so that we can provide you some content each week as we delve more and more into the world of the paranormal. Uh, Matt, so you're going to be... At the Capers meeting on Friday? Yep, I'm going to try to make it. Signing autographs? Of course. Yeah, that freaks him out. Don't, don't, don't do that, people, if you go up to Matt. He's, he's freaked out by that. It was, what was it the last time at the Capers meeting? The picture, somebody wanted a picture with you. Yeah, that's true. Hey, that's what happens, man. Spooky South Coast. It's a worldwide phenomenon. At least we hope so. And speaking of worldwide phenomenon, make sure you check us out all week long. SpookySouthCoast.com. We just had our 20,000th website hit. 20,000 20, website hits in over a little bit over a year. I'm impressed with that. I am. I mean, uh, some of these uh, like taps, they get like 20,000 hits a day. But, you know, for our purposes and what we're doing here, we're very excited about that. We take what we can get. Exactly. And we just passed 1,000 MySpace friends. So with the exception of Grandma Winslow and Mr. Belvedere, they're pretty much associated <laughs> with the show or the paranormal. So make sure you join our MySpace, myspace.com slash spooky south coast. I think that'll about do it for this week. What do you think? Yes. All right. Well, we'd like to thank our guests for joining us earlier tonight, Chris O'Neill, Christian D. Resendez, and Dave Kane. Remember to visit 41themovie.com, 41signsofhope.com, and if you can, get down to the station memorial tomorrow at the fire site at 1 p.m., and uh, also be sure to catch on Channel 70 in uh, Rhode Island Community Access the play that uh, Nikki O'Neill wrote, They Walk Among Us. So, I'm sorry, I think I just... All right, well, anyway, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz down in Eastern States, and for Tim Weisberg, we invite you all to stay spooktacular and join us next week. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now. It seems, or at least until yesterday begins again, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to.